And so, a big win for City on Sunday saw them inch closer to another league title. It was not easy, it was nervy, but probably lacking sufficient drama for the broadsheet suits to consider anything remotely approaching entertainment. Judging by their previous articles over the weekend, namely Jonathan Wilson's comparison to United's 1999 treble, I was surprised there was a game. The assumption being the season had already ended, three trophies secured by the genius that is Pep Guardiola. White hankies in the stand and white towels thrown onto the pitch by Real Madrid's plucky part-timers at the Bernabeu next week. They may as well shake hands now and call the whole thing off. But the reality instead, it seems, was the crushing inevitability of City going properly top for the first time in the season in May. It was never in doubt, apparently, pitted against a team that were odds-on for the title themselves just a few weeks ago. Truth is, Arsenal had been prepped for the fall long before it happened, if you consider it a proper fall. It wasn't even done for their benefit. No, more to help redefine any success that may come City's way. After all, pipe many, Arsenal were never really going to win the league. They never stood a chance against the oil-soaked state-owned oligarchs, manfully plugging away at the Emirates, waiting for the inevitable. Not even another 97 Zinchenko team huddles could fight off the tide. And so now City's achievements, should they happen, can be considered little more than a par score, the least they should achieve. United's 99 treble was so much more impressive anyway, because it was organic, DNA-infused and driven by over 30 homegrown kids from the streets of Salford. Proper football club. City slapping of Arsenal was a bleak night for Fleet Street, akin to a cast-ban overturn. Silence the typewriters and with muffled drum, bring out the trophies, let the mourners come. What seemed to annoy so many journalists was the anti-climax of the match. This was supposed to be the title showdown, the game of the season. City versus Liverpool 2019, Mark II. What we got instead was akin to a training match, men versus boys, seasoned winners versus the league's younger side, rapidly running out of steam. It wasn't supposed to be this way, not last Wednesday, not the last 11 years. The system was not rigged for this. This is not all journalists, of course, that's good and bad in any profession. We're talking about a select group, the usual suspects. We should be thanking them anyway. They seem to be spurring the team on, and Pep definitely, ever since those Premier League charges landed. Liverpool might use inhalers, allegedly. City players use the tears of Guardian columnists. Such people all purport to want the same thing. What is good for football? Of course, there is no precise definition possible of what that entails, which gives them carte blanche to interpret that as they see fit but it usually revolves around competition. There is a rampant paranoia that the biggest, bestest league in the world has been eroded because it is not truly competitive in the same way it's never really been. Of course, as City fans, we're perfectly happy for City to kill the league. We'll have great experiences watching our club win multiple trophies and the reaction will be hilarious. Might as well be Celtic. Because ultimately, there is no reason why other clubs can't compete and we also know that one day, the blindingly obvious advantage we have over everyone, that bald fraud, will depart the club and very much level the playing field. And as I have said on many podcasts in the past, I will not myself be against a true level playing field in football, with money stripped from the game so no club is at an advantage from the start due to supporter numbers or owner wealth. But as that is never happening, and there's never been equality in football, why waste a second thinking about it? How many articles can you get out of it? I think we know the answer to that. The biggest league in the biggest sport in the world is dominated by money and billionaires, and always will be. Or perhaps, as Simon Jordan suggested this week, United supporters could all chip in and raise £6 billion to buy their club. Good luck with that. 
What has been truly weird over the past five years is the preemptive nature of media articles. As I've already said, it's the equivalent of putting an asterisk next to City's trophies due to alleged financial doping. It downgrades success, redefines it for their readers. There are other ways of doing it, of course, the most obvious being to call this brand of football unappetising. It was hilarious to see Arsenal fans calling it boring last week. What they are watching at City is everything their manager is trying to achieve. Everything they would find exhilarating should they ever reach such heights, which I very much doubt. But yeah, ultimately some journalists now want to define what successful football should look like and feel like. Because for the first time in the history of the sport, it seems you can be too good, even if you sit second in the league table at the time. The main problem with this is that it requires the reader to ignore cognitive dissonance and instead simply blank out parts of history and cherry pick. And football fans are very good at this. Thus, for City fans, it may well rankle, considering that so many of City's titles have been won at the death. Titles won by chasing down other sides rather than having the title nailed down by Christmas. Three times City have come back from behind to win a title on the final day. What rankles is that City have proved to be the true mentality monsters. In past title races, it was never inevitable, never a done deal, but in the end it was City that persevered, and on more than one occasion, against Liverpool, the history club, the Teflon club, the club whose successful period means they can now do little wrong. City prevailed, but they provided drama along the way. Again, it wasn't meant to be this way, and now some journalists want us to act as if none of it ever happened. It's all part of the approach of ignoring reality to make spurious strawman arguments. After all, City can afford to fail in the transfer market whereas Miggles in another one-trick pony missive. What rankles with so many football journalists is that they don't, making the initial claim, even if it was remotely grounded in truth, utterly redundant. It may surprise you that Matt Dickinson, author of 1999, The Treble and All That, thinks that the, that particular treble was more exciting than the Manchester City 2022-23 yet not existent treble. Or it may not. But remember, all journalists are impartial. But if it's drama you want, my grey hairs are evidence that City and Masters are providing it. Not just those league title final days, or the agony and ecstasy of a few of the run-ins, but of course the drama of the Champions League ties last season is conveniently swatted aside by the likes of Jonathan Wilson. City are brilliant, but their seasons have rarely been processional, partly because other teams happen to be periodically brilliant too, and because, unsurprisingly, they are not and have never been perfect. What is often overlooked also is that City, Pep, improved the quality of the league. Pep has improved the football culture of everywhere he's gone, as well you know. But on top of that, every title City race, all the five close ones, has seen a symbiotic relationship form with their rival of that time, where each team pushed each other to the limit and to new heights. Weird then that some might think this is a bad thing just because of who prevailed in the final minutes of the season. Is the previous nine months of drama wiped from history if City prevail? Is the league not competitive if City keep winning by ahead? Answers on a postcard. But ultimately, whilst barely hiding their contempt for City, have selected journalists simply run out of things to say? Give an infinite number of monkeys typewriters and time, and they will not recreate the works of Shakespeare, but a Guardian hit piece instead. It's Schrodinger's argument in that it's both astonishing and totally predictable that members of the English press have taken up the position of arguing that City are too good for merit as being too good lacks drama, an argument that includes games that haven't yet happened for trophies that haven't yet been won. At least there will be a smidgen of logic for these articles to be written in the summer. 
Of course, in the warped mentality of the footballing fraternity, an owner can plunge hundreds of millions into a failing and flailing club and not a single Ancelotti eyebrow is raised. Clubs can fail financial fair play too without an asterisk or a doping accusation in sight. The key is not to succeed after doing all this. Then no one cares. Succeed and suddenly the attention arrives and with it the coping mechanisms of the fan bases whose clubs are not succeeding. Unless you're not state-owned, of course, as shown by Leicester City paying off an FFP punishment as they swept to the most unlikely of league titles. A true fairy tale, and nothing can deflect from that narrative. Is investment good for football? Well, there's no right answer. It's entirely subjective. Your point of view probably linked to whether your club's owner invests or not. Likewise, whether you think financial fair play is a good idea. But ultimately, like most of my monologues, I've wasted your time once more. This whole monologue could have been summed up in one word. One, I'm not even sure is real. Copium. A merge of coping mechanisms. All I describe is simply that. Pathetic, whinging dullards, grown adults holding down responsible jobs and in charge of other lives are reduced to typing on the internet city can't fill their stadium, ad infinitum, to help them get through the day. A coping mechanism for modern times, for the vapid, sheep-like detritus that the internet has provided, fueled by lad bible and troll football. Their views on football as laughable as Paul Merson trying to pronounce a foreign footballer's name. If City really couldn't fill their stadium, I doubt we'd be moaning about season ticket prices this week. We shouldn't expect logic, intelligence or rational thought in a country that voted to destroy its own economy, but the stupidity and irrationality of football fans is of course global, a zombie-like groupthink that feeds off an empty seat, a net spend graph composed by an incel or a guardian thought piece, all manner for avoiding the truth. I'm no different, perhaps, though City would have to have had a PE teacher as a manager as United once did to truly put it to the test. What I do know is that I will never acknowledge any United player as being good, and as for their manager, I will concede he's, co- he's competent, and nothing more. This message will self-destruct in ten seconds. And no, in reply to the question I'm imagining you shouting at me, we should not care. I used to get angry, and now I, like many others, inject such articles into my veins. A great day out at City is not complete unless Nick Harris has a meltdown on the full-time whistle, or there are five match reports mentioning Abu Dhabi state wealth. But then any success, any heights Pep and his team take the club to is not for the benefit and joy of certain football journalists. They're not there to serve you, which may come as a surprise to a few of the egos that struck their stuff. They are the antithesis to our joyous fans, and as long as we are happy, it matters not one jot. There are plenty who seem to be incapable of understanding what it means to be a fan, as shown by the opinion pieces suggesting City's past trophies could be tarnished for us Blues if the Premier League charges stuck. You think you can change my memories and experiences? That's risable. Add to them the Irish Mafia, whose moral guidance is defined by writing whatever the swathes of Irish United and Liverpool fans need to read to make them feel better about shifting sands, and it is nowadays something to chuckle at. They're broken into a million pieces, and City still haven't won a bean yet this season, with no guarantees they will. We've been here many, many times before. Journalists were writing about City destroying competition in the Premier League before Pep Guardiola had even won his first title. But of course we consume the sport differently now. It's one of the few things I get nostalgic about, a world following my team before the all-powerful internet. It's changed us all. Like with VAR, there's no going back now. That's the world we live in now until the end of time. Betting companies employing mass-produced drones with edgelord opinions due to tumbleweed brains or the ability to set aside any personal shame or self-awareness for the grift, meme factories for the masses. This is how opinions are formed, shaped, how they remain. 
it's the opinions they want to have because it makes them feel better. The likes of Wilson expect fans, and to reiterate, I mean rival fans, for whom his last piece was written, to ignore what is staring them in the face and accept this alternative reality instead, as it helps with their coping mechanism. That's why a football fan can see a sold-out Etihad week after week after week and type about the empty head on Football Funny's Facebook page and not only walk away pleased as punch at his wit and repartee, but also get 100 likes from like-minded fans. Cheap, sitting there booing Jack Grealish because everyone else is, and because deep down they know their wife would leave them for him at the drop of a hat. All from a nation that booed Raheem Sterling for years at every away ground he went to, for daring to leave football in royalty Liverpool FC, bowing to the hatchet job done on him, or perhaps merely showing solidarity with John Aldridge, a top-tier nugget for whom logical thought burned away in the heat of US 94. Wake up, face the music, face reality. City are not your second team anymore, out of pity. They're better than your club in every single aspect. And that £300 million new development on the horizon is the final nail in the coffin for your 15-year-long wait for the shake to get bored and the oil to run out. Not happening, is it? Still, more TikTok interactions. We'll never sing that. I'm reminded of a lame old joke that still makes me chuckle. Franny Lee is outside the supermarket and he sees an old woman struggling with bags of shopping. He goes up to her and asks... Can you manage? And she replies, fuck off, I'm not taking the job. There's plenty more where that came from, blue stock cubes and all that. But a lot's happened since then, hasn't it? A lot's changed. And I know I'd be the same if the lifetime of superiority I expected as a United fan ended and a decade of mismanagement and incompetence meant that little old City, the quiet neighbour, was about to finish ahead of United for the tenth season in a row. I'd be pretty bitter too. I'd react the same way. Fans are pretty similar in the end. I'd look for any reason to diminish all that City achieve, and let's not pretend the club is a saint. Again, football is grubby, run by power-mad billionaires. We don't live in the same world, and few big club owners are blemish-free. But that's beside the point I'm making today. From bored teenage behind fan accounts to shit opinions handed out for traction and cash, I've learned to understand how and why fans behave as they do. We're all in our own cult where nuance and truth goes to die. But journalists, are they not different? Should they not be? Many are. We have access to more writing and coverage than ever, and loads of it is bloody brilliant. From small blogs to national writers, it's there. But we do tend to focus on the negative. But for those that struggle with City's success, brought up and brainwashed on the organic fairy tale success of Liverpool and United, there seems to be a guilt in the writing. Piling in on Qatar after sucking up to Russia, hating City's business model and owner whilst turning a blind eye to the 30 years that led to this point, from no longer sharing ticket receipts to the foundation of the Premier League, stock market flotations, Super League threats and the divvying up of Champions League riches to maintain the status quo. Forgive me if I express scepticism as you suddenly possess a moral conscience or deep concern for competition in a sport that's never been fair and has always favoured single selective clubs that change rules to keep it that way but ultimately failed due to the wealth, foresight and planning of Middle Eastern investors for whom even I hold little love. City didn't create this world, but they now thrive in it, and few cared until the trophies started rolling in. So we'll enjoy all the success, the memories and experiences it gives us, experiences younger me could never have thought possible, and perhaps certain journalists might find life easy if occasionally they enjoyed the spectacle too, because the utopian landscape you dream of is never happening. And Pep's not going anywhere either. Suck it up and drink it in. And in future, 
try writing your obituaries after the subject has died. 